Acts chapter 28. I once had a speaker that started off his message by inviting you to turn to Acts chapter 29. And uh, his whole point was that your life should be writing the next chapter. An interesting perspective. But we're reading the last chapter of Acts. Chapter 28 we'll read in its, in its entirety. Acts 28 beginning in verse 1. It says, Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he took off the creature, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island and landing at Syracuse. We stayed three days. And there we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Petuloli, that place. I always have a hard time pronouncing that one. Putioli, there we go. Where we found brethren, and were invited to stay with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the as Appy Forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they had not agreed among themselves, they departed after Paul and said, after Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Israel, 
through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you will perceive, and not see, seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. When he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. We are very close to finishing up our study in Acts, as you can well see. Um, We have this week and likely just next week, depending upon how far I get along. Um, We are then, some of you have asked where we're going to go, and you're going to have to just come back and find out. So, how's that for anticipation? We'll leave you on a cliffhanger here in a couple weeks, not knowing where to go when you come back the next week. But we have traveled with uh, the early church from its inception at Pentecost. We have seen its struggles and its failings. We have seen also its successes and its boldness and courage to do what the Lord commands. We've seen some of its heroes. We have even met some of the goats along the way. Um, And... There's not a lot different that we're going to see than that pattern that we have studied throughout the book uh, reflected in Luke's record of these last uh, voyage that we have here before us in Acts of Paul to Rome. In fact, um, we have seen some things here that are so reminiscent that we wonder if Luke just borrowed an account and some have actually claimed that that he just borrowed accounts from other things and applied them to Paul on this journey. Um, but that, of course, would bring the entirety of the book and the entirety of God's Word under suspicion for that kind of recklessness with uh, the script. And so we can be at ease and trust that this is a faithful record of what has been, uh, it was what occurred. And Luke, especially in this instance, being with Paul uh, in this facet of his ministry and very carefully describing them. And some have, as we've stated last two weeks, some have uh, been disconcerted by the fact that there is little of uh, Paul's church planting focus that we have seen uh, in his other missionary journeys here in this journey. Uh, But I think uh, we expect a little too much for several reasons. Number one is he is a prisoner and not free to do as he wants. He uh, does have some liberty as as a favored prisoner, but we need to remember that he is still a prisoner um, and does not entirely have his own will of where he can go and what he can do. Uh, We also recognize that we are talking... uh, in a time period when the uh, 
messages, the sample messages that Luke has given to us have been completed so that we know what Paul taught to the Jews. We know what he taught to the Gentiles. Uh, We know what he uh, defended himself with before the Roman authorities. And we really only have those sample messages. And that was Luke's intent, is to give us these samples Um, And certainly Paul preached everywhere he went. We don't have every message recorded, um, but we do have this final engagement that he has recorded here, which is a reminder to us that all along Paul's preaching Christ. While we do not have the the text of what he spoke, uh, we do have confidence that wherever he goes, he's going to preach Christ. That is who he is, and he is going to follow the same tactic that he has followed all of his life, even here at the very end. We're going to see the exact same formula. Uh, Nothing changes because uh, the gospel is established through the work of Christ. There is no need to modify it, to adapt it, to uh, tweak it along the route. We do not need to modernize this message, Um, and Paul's going to do so. He's going to maintain it. And that's going to offend many. Uh, Many are going to speak evil of it. um, But it's also going to persuade some. And that is the power of the message of the gospel, is that those that are persuaded um, receive Christ as their Savior and all the privileges and blessings as they receive as children of God. And so the message of Paul, we don't find varying from when he was first out in his first missionary journey all the way to this last record. This is not the end of Paul's ministry, but the end of Acts' record of his ministry. Um, He's not dead at the end of the book of Acts, so there was more to the story. Um, But this is as far as Luke has recorded it, and apparently is writing this in the time frame that Paul is still in Rome and hasn't gone beyond that. So we come to his... Last two, really, engagements that we have record of. And we want to, again, see the consistency that is there and also the consistent results that we have really seen over and over again throughout the book of Acts. Before we do so, let's go, Lord, in prayer together. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And again, we thank you for the opportunity to look in your word. And we pray that you might direct us carefully in its understanding. Certainly, we want to have the knowledge of your word. Uh, and understand it. Um, But Lord, we know that with that understanding comes also a need to respond. And we pray that we might recognize the authority of your scriptures, that they demand something of us, and that is obedience. And Lord, give us hearts that are ready to obey, that are humble, and not in rebellion, um, as so many, but that we are ready to respond to your authority. Uh, And Lord, we do thank you for your spirit and the guidance and the direction, the illumination that he offers. And Lord, if there be that which is in us that would hinder that work, you might cleanse us of that even now. That there might be a true liberty for your uh, spirit to work in each heart, in each mind, in each life. Lord, again, we thank you for the testimony before us, its faithful record, and we pray that as we study it and delve into it, that you might not only Give us insight into it, but uh, also see the examples that are laid out there for us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, in my cross-collateral reading of this passage, on more than one occasion, the commentator shared, why do we have this useless information? Why do we have useless information in the Bible? And it becomes a kind of attack on God's word. Uh, And you might say, what kind of useless information? What does it matter where the ship is from? What does it matter what... um, what it can be described as. As Luke begins in verse 11, it says we have an Alexandrian ship who has a figurehead of the twin brothers. That would be Castor and Pollux, by the way, the sons of Zeus. Um, and uh, if that yeah, still doesn't help you, those are the two that are um, of the Gemini uh, um, constellation. Um, and why do we have all this useless information? And, and they literally used that word. Um, it, that it had wintered on the island as well. Um, and we forget sometimes that this isn't just a theological treatise. This is a letter written to someone that Luke knew. Friend of God. Or to a body of people that uh, could be referenced to, the friendly toward God people, Theophilus, most excellent. And that these kinds of specifics and these kinds of uh, details are what fills good writing, (laughs) this kind of descriptiveness. And I want to remind you that the original readers of this, this was not useless information because that ship was still sailing around in the region, in the vicinity. Uh, and it may very well have been, had some connection or tie to Theophilus himself. Um, and it's rather egocentric for us to think, well, if it's not useful to me, it's not useful. Um, if I can't find some value in this, um, But we have here um, a well-written history of the early church, and we should anticipate such detail that is given. And and then you have others who, because of fearfulness of the useless label, go over here to the other extreme and try to find some mysterious significance to every detail. So they can insert some strange ideas and 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 you go into that collateral right here like oh boy uh that's a little bit out there um and and as you know one of the hallmarks that i try to attain to for my pulpit ministry is balance and uh hopefully we get in a balanced view of this and recognize that the place of their landings and the and the detailed information um, is not a secret message that Luke is sending to some secret person, Theophilus, or to us, um, but rather it is a faithful record, and it is to make it a, an enjoyable read, if you will. It'll be, it's a page-turner, would be a modern idea. It is to give us a realness and, 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 a, and a connection to what's going on, um, but also to recognize that along this Travel that Paul had many stops. He encountered many different kinds of people. 
he encountered many different uh, circumstances that needed to be overcome and lived through and, and dealt with. Um, and in the midst of it all, Paul's faithful. I think it's kind of interesting that um, here the minister of the one true God who is trying to demonstrate the power of God on the island of Malta um, gets to board a ship with two of the sons of Zeus um, as the figurehead. Um, and the contrast that is there, that here are these two who are supposed to give you, they're supposed to give you safety on the sea. That's what they're known for. Um, that, that the real safety is provided by the one whom this agent serves. But Paul boards this, and Luke records it faithfully for us, and the journey is laid out here, and again, for you and I, we might say, well, where's the theological significance here? It's a historical significance. And those of the day, and those even today, uh, can see this route and recognize that it is accurate. And that should give us a confidence not only in the passage before us, but in all of God's Word. That this information could easily be examined and considered by the original recipients, by the earliest of the church, and so it was, and found faithful. What's also exciting as we read through this, we get down to verse 14, and we find that here in places that are somewhat remote, we already find brethren. We find that the church has scattered and it has done its job. And here, late in the book of Acts, we find a place that Paul has never been to, but we find that here at this place there are brethren. Isn't that wonderful? Paul isn't the only guy. Paul is the one that Luke has focused in on, but he certainly is not the only faithful agent of the kingdom of God here on earth. He has come to this place. They have arrived there. And by the way, they're going to arrive in Rome. And, and we know from the book of Romans that others went there and that Paul had communicated the gospel to them via letter rather than personal visit prior to this arrival that we have in the book of Acts. And we find that there are brethren there. And so here in Italy, there are believers that they are going to encounter and we can get caught up in the, why are they there saying there are seven days before they go to Rome? Um, that's just what happened. The reasons may be up to the centurion. It may have been the circumstances around the, the delayed arrival. Remember, they were due to be there months earlier. And so accommodations had to be cared for and dealt with. But the notice that it's the brethren is the believers that they encounter, those that there's no indication that Paul would have known them, they were found, and Paul's allowed to stay with them for seven days until they began their trip back up to Rome. And as they're traveling, word had already been sent to Rome. And now that they are going to be met on the road, if you will, it says, verse 15, and from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the Appy Forum and the three inns. Paul saw them and he thanked God and took courage that as 
One was traveling toward Rome. These in Rome didn't want to wait for their arrival. They're going to run out and meet him along the way and escort him in. They are thrilled to meet this one. Um, and likely they had already received the book of Romans. So when you read the book of Romans and you see who he is writing to and you come to the end of the book of Romans, since it's the next book, let's jump over the end of the book of Romans. And we find a lengthy, uh, in terms comparatively speaking, a lengthy list of people that, are, that Paul is giving greetings to and back and forth to um, here at the end, um, we come to Romans 16, and it would seem that verse 20 is somewhat the end of the book, but um, Paul's going to send greetings to them, but back up even further, chapter 16, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria, that you may receive her in the Lord, and a man are worthy of the saints, and a sister in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, which tells us who is in Rome. These are all people that Paul knew that had traveled to Rome. They're there, and so these aren't necessarily the, Rome, the, the Christians in Rome uh, are anticipating Paul's arrival. They're anticipating it to such a degree that Aquila and Priscilla, aren't, they're going to sit there and say, I wonder how he's doing on the trip. They're going to, well, let's go meet him. We know, we know where it is. We'll meet him halfway and we'll have the whole journey to talk. Because they didn't really know what was going to take place once they came into Rome. If they were going to be given access to him. But certainly on the trip, they could have that access. And so we have a whole list here of, of people that, that Paul is able to name by name who had made it to Rome. Verse 5, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Apennatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my countrymen, my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Those are interesting people. It goes right through this list, and we find all these people that he can name by name that he has had some encounter with over the years of his ministry, and he sends his, he said, please greet them all. All these that are in the vicinity around Rome. And so when Paul lands in Italy, and he finds believers in this community, we see that the church of Rome is active. It is going about its work, and that is to share Christ in the entire region. And so when they get word that Paul is on his way, they're not going to wait for him to get there and hope it goes safely. Um, an entourage of them, as the evidence here, uh, came out to meet him. The brother heard about us, they came to meet us. And the evidence is that they were traveling faster than Paul was traveling. It wasn't really the midpoint. And so they met and they were filled with joy to, to renew a relationship and certainly, perhaps among them, there were some that Paul had not met, but he saw these that were precious to him, some of them that, that were believers before him, some that he had led to Christ, some that he had ministered alongside of, others who had ministered to him, and they were able to have this reunion on the road. And look at their response. And all of this would be our response when we meet brethren in the way, on the way. Little play on words there. 
he thanked God and took courage. I think all of us sometimes in our Christian life are pretty sure that we are on our own. And of course, that's one of the reasons that church is so important and being faithful here is so important, is that you aren't. You aren't um, on this isolated uh, wilderness trek um, where everyone's against you and uh, there's no encouragement along the way. A church is a precious thing. And our brethren um, are there to help us along. And sometimes that takes the form, as Paul tells Timothy, to rebuke and correction and instruction and righteousness. And other times it takes that form of, of encouragement, of, of strengthening, of building up one another, that we can stand firm. And here Paul no, doesn't necessarily know what's going to confront him in Rome. Remember, he has not given any promises beyond Rome. Revelation was, you're going to go to Rome and you're going to speak. And that may be it. As far as he's concerned, that could be his final destination and that could result in him being slain. Being crucified himself, possibly. And so on his tr- this final leg of a very long journey to what may very well be his very last Discourse, his last opportunity to share Christ um, before he passes into eternity. He is in need of courage, and the place where he receives that is on the road by his brethren who say, We're not even going to wait for you to get to us, we're coming to see you. We're going to meet you at more than just a halfway point, and Paul thanks God for them and takes courage and derives it from their willingness to make that trek to him and their anxiousness to meet him and to have fellowship with him. And there is courage there for those who would partake of it. And it makes you begin to wonder where we are in our Christian life that we trudge to church and hesitate to participate in every chance to get together with believers and find excuses to keep us from doing that, it makes me wonder if we are in need of courage or maybe we are not in need of courage because we aren't really in the fight. We haven't really engaged ourselves. And therefore, we have little at risk and require little courage because we live already so much like the world. Paul found his sustenance in Christ. There is no doubt. But added to that is the opportunity to rejoice in God's provision of what? Of his people. That one of God's provision in your life to care for you, to guard your heart from sin and wickedness, from the allure of this world. One of the means by which he does that is the provision of the church. 
And when we spurn it, and when we, we degrade it, when, when we think of it as meaningless and as boring, I, I'm not, whenever people say church is boring, I say, that's kind of an insult to those people. They really mean the messages or the services. I hope that's what they mean by that. But what they're really saying is that those people who go to church are boring. Because that is church. Rather, they are your source, your provision uh, that God has given to you to challenge, to encourage you. Take heart. Fight the fight. Press on. Endure. It is worth it and you are not alone. Oh, this is what we desperately need. And it seems almost the more we need it, the more we repel from it. I don't understand it, but I've been in the ministry long enough that I've seen it happen over and over and over again um, for those who are, who are struggling in the battle, who have taken some, some hard licks in life in terms of their spiritual walk, uh, recoil from the church when in fact they should just lay themselves bare and thank God for her and embrace her that they might take courage from her. Rather, we want to crawl away and cower in some dark corner. Paul here is ready to die. He's ready to give his life for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He has gone through some rough seas (laughs) to get there. And to see these old friends these fellow ministers, these brethren, some strangers that you just find along the way and go, oh, thank the Lord. I found some brethren. Didn't know them. Can you send word to the ones who I do know in Rome? And they send a messenger. Paul's landed. He's not dead. You got to remember that. They, he, he has been heard from for a while. He didn't die at sea. He's landed. He is, he, is, he is in the vicinity. And this message gets to Rome. And here comes an entourage of his faithful brethren, his, uh, his companions in ministry. And he is encouraged, taken courage from them. And oh, that we would understand and view the church in such a manner that we go there to take courage from the fact that here are those of like mind. Here are those that love me unconditionally as God loves me. Here are those that would give of themselves to care for me. Here are those that will go out of their way and meet me on the road just to make sure to spend time with me. Here's the place. Here are the people that I need to lean on. And let there be no doubt, when it says that Paul thanked God for them and took courage from them, he was leaning. He's leaning on them. And if you think that individuals like Paul and spiritual leaders don't need to lean every now and then, then you've never been in a leadership position. Because the fact is, we need to lean a lot. The world in its pride wants us to say, oh, you don't need that crutch (laughs) And it's interesting because they 
develop their own crutches that are feeble and broken and the wrong size and don't work. The fact is, is that God understands our weakness and our need for encouragement, our need to lean. And Paul here, before he has this, really his final two opportunities to share Christ, has this precious time to lean on the brethren. And rather than taking it for granted, rather than disparaging of its importance, he thanks God for them. For the brethren he has met, for the fellows who have come to meet him, and there they are at the three ends, and they're, they're able to minister in this wonderful fashion. And you just wonder the impact on the rest of the group, which would include a centurion and some guards, to see this precious relationship that this man is coming to Rome and, and here is a group not coming to rescue him, not coming to break him out of prison. They're coming to give him courage and to take him to Rome with the soldiers, with the guards. What a sight. What a testimony. And this God calls us to as a church. To have this kind of longing to be with one another. This kind of longing to share time and our homes and our lives and our concerns and our hurts and our worries and our struggles. There is something wicked in the fashioning of our society that has put us into the thinking that living in cubicles of isolation is normal. That we lay up facades of happiness when there is nothing but turmoil beneath. Or we'd have pretending of success when there is only failure. And think that somehow this helps us get through life. We travel from one cubicle to another cubicle to another cubicle. And our interactions with people is rare, it is brief, and it is seldom honest. And we call that life. And we come to a place like this, and I know that there are a lot of people who aren't in this, it's kind of a weird thing. They are not here because it's too intimate. They want to go to a place where they can go in the back door, hear a message, and get out, and not have to know anyone's name and have nobody notice whether they're there or not. And there's a reason that I'm not a pastor of a mega church, and it's because I believe God's word demands intimacy and accountability among his people. Period. And 
While intimacy and accountability sound like that means a lot of expected of me, what we forget is that in the midst of having so much expected of you, so much can be given to you in that environment. And Paul's testimony here that he could thank God and take courage from the brethren is lost on so many. That so many are in our day are walking in isolation and they are going into horrible venues. They're going into our public schools and colleges and, and encountering stuff and they're isolated. Then we wonder why we lose our young people when this isn't the fellowship, this isn't their intimate circle, this isn't their close friends, and I don't care if they're the same age or not, this isn't the place they would rather spend their time and that we aren't going bending over backwards to make sure that they're spending every moment possible in this circle. And then we wonder why we lose them down the road as soon as they're exposed because we have made their intimate circle the world. And we've disparaged the church because it is not prior in importance. It is not first. And then we wonder, why don't they have these friends that aren't? It's like, well, you didn't want them to be here. You didn't go out of your way to make sure that those young people, those children had a circle of friends, and I don't mean their peers. Um, you don't want junior hires teaching junior hires, okay? Junior hires need adult friends. Desperately. More than they need other junior hire friends. Same thing with high schoolers, college students. They need that. People have always... Not a lot, but, oh, you're poor kids, you're in this small church, you homeschool them, they have almost no social interaction. I'm like, what are you talking about? They have lots of social action with adults. And now that they are adults, they're able to function in an adult world on a level that people are amazed at. Because their friends were deacons' wives. Sunday school teachers were life coaches. Those were their friends. This Friday and Saturday, our ladies are going up there and, and to the ladies' retreat, and what an opportunity. I scratch my head and wonder why everyone doesn't want to go. and Then I wonder why I'm not allowed to go, but they never, they never invite me. Oh, that we would grasp the value of intimate relationships. They're costly, I know that, because they require you to be honest. They expose your troubles and your frustrations. They expose your spots. They expose your shortcomings. I know that. But it is in those very shortcomings that we can provide the most value to your life. To strengthen them. To shore them up. 
to let you lean when you need to lean. And Paul needed to lean on someone. He's been the pillar on this trip. And now here comes this, you can just imagine him, oh, here comes Aquila, here comes Priscilla, here, here they come. Some of these guys have been believers longer than me. Oh, I have someone to lean on. I don't have to be the pillar anymore. Now I, have, I can be one of many pillars. And let me share with you, it's easier to carry the weight when you have many pillars than just one. Yes? I know those structures that have one pillar and then a big thing on top look interesting, but that's a lot of stress on that one pillar. That's why we got one, two, three, we got eight, nine, ten of them in this little building. Lean on them. Here comes this crowd. I mean, I'm sure it's a crowd. Coming down, you, you wonder, Cornelius is like, what's going on? Or not, Cornelius is like, what's going on? Centurion is concerned, but these people aren't interested in, in a rebellion. These people aren't interested in denying, a, defying authority. These people are just interested in encouraging their brother. And really, their brethren, there's three of them still traveling together, remember? This is the value of of the church. They get to Rome. They're delivered to the captain of the guard. And already the testimony of Paul has an influence. He is permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. He rented his own house. He was under house arrest. He could receive visitors, uh, but he couldn't go out there. And so in this isolated condition, Paul was most blessed with fellowship. Think about that. He was in an isolated condition. He was under house arrest. He could not leave, would not be allowed to leave. He had a guard living with him. But he had fellowship. That's what a church gives you. When we talk about the courage that comes from having some other pillars to lean on. You're talking about faithfully strengthening our Christian walk. And this, ultimately, is the value of the church. It is not... just the teaching of God's word. It's not just maybe one of the only places that you actually sing praises to God. Certainly in a choir. It is so much more than that. These are just the mechanisms that we engage to direct your worship, but I would be a fool to say that that is the epitome of worship. For indeed, the, the, the highest worship may very well be your relationships with one another that extend even beyond the services, beyond this room, and into your individual private lives.
And it is a shameful thing that Hollywood has more access to your living room than your church. That you would invite them in more regularly than you would invite us in. They say, oh, but I can relax in front of the television. Well, you can relax in front of us. <laughs> really? Unless that means your, your idea of relaxing is sin, then no, you can't. <laughs> Brethren, I see many in our day and some of you struggling with courage. I want you to know that God has provided because he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. God has provided the means for you to take courage. And by and large, we tend to squander it the very times we need it most. I want to encourage you today to thank God for this organism that is organized, but is an organism, a living thing, this church. And every opportunity to gather, to sing, to study, but to be with believers. And if you think these are the only times that that should happen in your life, uh, you don't understand the church. I love that the church met every day from house to house. That's what it was described as at the beginning of Acts. Do you remember? And out of that foundational blessing, out of that intimacy, um, we have these kinds of relationships develop that are so strong that these brethren in Rome could not wait to get in the company of their brother, Paul and Luke. Could not wait for them to travel the road. We'll come and travel it with you. That kind of intimacy didn't just appear on this day. It was the result of the years and the entire mindset of the church body. And what a, what a, contrast, I want to say, of this largely Gentilian church here in Rome and the reception Paul got in Jerusalem, who were all zealous for the law and were suspicious of Paul still. He was suspicious of him the first time he came because he's the one that was against us, and then he's suspicious the last time he comes because, you know, he's, he's telling us we don't have to keep the law. He's, he's preaching against Moses. Everyone's zealous for the law. Well, and if we're that kind of church, then no wonder. You'd rather be arrested and taken into custody than have to come to church. But hopefully, we're more like this church. And after years of intimate relationship, after years of, of fellow 
ministry one with another and seeing the work of God in each other's lives as we mature in our walk with Him and our knowledge of Him and our faith in Him and we go through the struggles of life and and my struggles now are different than some of yours, but I've had some of your struggles. I had multiple preschoolers in my house at one time. Hardest time of my life. These guys have the hardest work that they will ever face right now. The Gonzaleses, the Brummets, Leachmans are almost getting out of it there. The, the youngest Roberts, they got the hardest. That was the hardest part of my married life. That was the hardest part of my life as a father. That was the hardest part of my life as a pastor. To come home tired and have multiple preschoolers crawling all over you. Uh. So, what does the church provide? Place to lean. Challenges are different now. Now I'm starting to realize that old people have a lot of pain. <laughs> They're all the time. Don't isolate yourself. And then blame God for abandoning you. He has provided you with this church. Thank him for it. Take courage from her, the church, and press on. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this blessing that you've given to us of each other. And Lord, we confess before you that we have distrusted you because we've distrusted your church. And we've thought little of her when you have thought much of her. And Lord, we know that we will fail one another, for we are limited and weak and still dragging around that dead corpse of the old nature, waiting for the release come to your presence. Lord, let us take heart and be thankful and recognize our need to have these other pillars of faith to lean upon. And Lord, we have seen many who abandoned that and are not walking with you today. And whether that comes before or after they have abandoned the church, um, Lord, we see the need for the church to be involved in their life, to guard against it. So, Lord, we thank you for this church and for the church universal, that we can go into strange places and meet brethren and take courage. Lord, help us to be willing to lean and also ready to be leaned upon. As fellow heirs of Jesus Christ, in his name we pray, amen.